0: One in Isaiah and one in Zephaniah. I always get Zephaniah and Zechariah mixed up. Zephaniah is earlier than Zechariah. Two books earlier. We'll be reading from verse, uh, in chapter three. And if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, that's page 1463. And reading through verse 17 chapter 3, verses 9 through 17. In Zephaniah. Okay, Zephaniah chapter 3, starting in verse 9. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language, that they all may call on the name of the Lord, to serve Him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia... My worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. In that day you shall not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride. And you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God, in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Wow, what an amazing passage. Dear Lord, we thank You for this prophecy. We thank You for this time to be seen. And we just rejoice in Your rejoicing. And Lord, I pray that this morning, as we come here to hear from You, Lord, That you would speak to us through your servant Paul, our pastor. And that you would anoint him with great passion for your word. That you would give him clarity of thought and of speech. And Lord, that he would become less and you would become more. We pray that you would speak to us, Lord. And use him for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
1: So we are continuing on this uh, series on the blessed afterlife. And I began the series by speaking about the uh, afterlife in three stages or three phases and those three phases i identified as going to heaven if you die right now you would go to be with the lord with uh, the millennial kingdom the thousand year reign of christ and then with the new heavens and the new earth now of course the millennial kingdom is a cause of some contention uh, among believers and so um, it is not, I want to emphasize this, this is not a first order de- uh, uh, doctrine, not like the Trinity or the virgin birth of Christ or justification by grace through faith, uh, but it is an important teaching and uh, this is something that we hold to here and last week if you remember i did give a brief overview steve asked me to do this of why this church is premillennial in its approach uh three basic reasons for that are that one many passages including the zephaniah passage that has just been read and the passage in isaiah that i will read refer to conditions which are far Different than today, but include things that cannot be uh, said of the new heavens and the new earth. Secondly, that Jesus, who upholds this world and died in this world, has a right to reign in this world and to deliver it up to God. I don't believe that this world is a re- is a reject to be just thrown away once everyone is saved. And thirdly, because in Revelation chapter 20, we're told six times that Christ will reign for a thousand years. And I take that literally. So not everyone does that, and that's fair enough, but we covered the reasons for that last week. And I want to continue with this message on the kingdom to come. That is what I believe is the... Millennial Kingdom. And in Isaiah chapter 11, if you will turn there, Isaiah chapter 11, and I'm, I'm uh, conscious of the constraints of time this morning. Just please concentrate on the different details that are brought out by the prophet. There shall come forth a rod... From the stem of Jesse, Jesse's the father of David, of course, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness, the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. A cow and a bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. So my job this morning is to kind of combine the Isaiah passage and the Zephaniah passage together without being here for two hours. And so let's see how I do here. The first thing I want to call your attention to in the Isaiah passage is the name of the branch who is to judge righteously, the branch who is to judge righteously. Now, if a person had such power as is given to this branch, who is, of course, Christ, but if somebody today had this kind of power, we would rightly be unsettled at the prospect. There's nobody alive or, or who has ever been alive who, if he was given this kind of authority or power, uh, could be trusted to use it and judge righteously and to uh, not have an agenda and not have certain things uh, and influences that would influence him to make one decision over another. This person, though, the Messiah, when he reigns upon earth, he will reign, notice, by the spirit of understanding, counsel, and might, and of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is always important. And even, yes, Messiah, Jesus Christ, will rule as the man Christ Jesus in the fear of the Lord. It doesn't mean that he's scared of his father. It just simply means that that is a guiding principle in his reign. There's no fear of man. There's no fear of authorities. Uh, There is just this awe of the one whom he represents. It says that he delights in the fear of the Lord. Now, you see, he's not as scared of it. And it says he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. He's going to judge in a righteous way. He's not going to be tempted by what he sees and hears, by the persuasiveness of one party or one lobbyist against another. That's not the way he's going to rule the world. He cannot be influenced In that way, the only influence upon Christ when he reigns will be the law of God, not the Mosaic law, but the the instruction of God, the truth of God, and the love of God. And so we can really look forward to this time, this reign. He's going to judge the poor with righteousness, which intimates there will be poor, but there will be poor people who he will look after, who he will come and help. Decide with equity, that's an overused word nowadays, but when it's used in its proper context, equity just means that each one, each person, each situation is dealt with in the right way, with the right balance. For the meek of the earth, for the meek of the earth, because the meek, remember Jesus said, will inherit the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Well, that doesn't sound like the new heavens and the new earth to me. And it certainly doesn't sound like where we are now. We are told in Psalm 2 and in the book of Revelation that Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. Now, that ruling of the rod of iron is only necessary if there is a situation where sin has to be kept under. Do you see? And this is what uh, the descriptions of the millennial kingdom speak about. It isn't that sin runs rampant. It doesn't. It runs rampant today in our world and in our history. But in the kingdom to come, it will not. It will be suppressed. It will be Put down, but nevertheless, at the end of the thousand years, as we read last week, Satan will be released and he will find people who resist the will of Christ. And they will try and come up against Jerusalem and they won't fare very well. And so he'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. I understand this is poetic language. But it has a literal referent behind it. With the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. So there will be wicked that will need to be dealt with. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. That is just a poetic way of saying that the whole person, you know, this is where our power comes from. This is where uh, our might comes from uh, physically. The whole person, therefore, Uh, will be righteous and faithful. So that's the first uh, thing that I want to draw your attention to. Jesus, when he returns, he comes and he sets up a righteous reign upon this earth, this cursed earth, because the curse isn't lifted, as we will see, until the new heavens and the new earth. And that Christ, who for a short time in Galilee healed diseases and spoke peace and stopped the wind and the waves and did so many other things, wonderful things. Produced bread and fish out of just a few scraps. That is the same Christ, but now uninhibited. By his mission to die for our sins, now he is reigning for who he is. The man Christ Jesus upon this earth and his power will go out through all of the earth. The knowledge of him, as it says in verse 11, will go out throughout the earth as the waters cover the sea. There will be nobody saying, who's Jesus? Who's this Jesus? You don't need to witness to him. In the kingdom. Everyone will know what he did. Everyone will know who he is. There will be a pervasive understanding of the one in Jerusalem. And then it speaks about, in verses 6 through 10, the marvelous transformation in nature. And it gives you a kind of a pastoral scene here. The wolf. Will dwell with the lamb. And the lamb will still be there after, you know, five minutes. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat and won't eat it. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And the little child shall lead them. A little child. Later on, it speaks about a nursing child and a weaned child. There are no nursing children and weaned children in the new heavens and the new earth, as far as I'm aware. This seems to be a different setting, this world, but this world changed, transformed, regenerated. What's the little child doing? Well, he's got a cow and a bear. And uh, he's playing by the cobra's hole and uh, putting his hand down a viper's den. And he's having a good old time with all the critters of nature, isn't he? And he's not afraid. And the parents don't need to be afraid. Because there will be no hurt And it says also that the lion in verse seven will eat straw like an ox. Well, yes, well, that's obviously nonsense. Do you see? The lion's a carnivore, so obviously this can't be true. You have to spiritualize this in some way. No, I don't believe you, you. You can. I don't believe you should. There are other passages also in Hosea and so on which speak about the same thing. And this very thing is repeated at the end of Isaiah too. The nature red in tooth and claw, the awful things that we uh, see, you know, the predators do to their poor victims on uh, our animal planet and the other nature programs that we watch, that won't happen again. There'll be no more suffering that way. That's the idea. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Notice the holy mountain there. So, what we have is a picture of serenity and safety. Serenity and safety. Safety for the child. Safety for the one in the wilderness. Safety for the the one wherever they go. And there's many, many passages in the Old Testament that speak about that. So, there's the first picture that I wanted to bring you uh, from uh, Scripture about the Millennial Kingdom. But then let's go to that Zephaniah passage. Now you all know where Zephaniah is, don't you? Because you all had to turn to it while, while Steve was there. Zephaniah, I love this passage in Zephaniah chapter 3. And it begins... By speaking in verse 9 about God, notice, restoring the peoples, to the peoples, a pure language. A pure language. Now, the idea here is that there'll be no evil speaking. That what comes out of the mouth is Everybody understands that what comes out of the mouth is supposed to be for edification. It's supposed to build up people. Now, in order to do that, by the way, that means that people will have to put other people before themselves. Do you see? And so imagine a world, a kingdom, where when people speak to you, they're putting you before themselves. And what they want to speak to to you is words of goodness and edification. And the words that you will speak back will be of the same variety. It certainly doesn't sound like today. And then it speaks about all people doing that. That they may call on the name of the Lord. Because this is why language was given in the first place. God gave us language so that he could speak to us and we could speak back to him and that we could speak to others about him. There we are. I've just given you the biblical philosophy of language. It doesn't come from uh, hoots and tweets and uh, growls like the evolutionist tells us. No, 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 no. It comes with the intelligence that's been given to us. It comes with the image that's been given to us. And so... Noam Chomsky has got it all wrong, and the Bible is right. We understand that language has a reflex character. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so in this time, because the heart is changed, the mouth will be changed. The communication will be changed. No more fake news. that they may call on the name of the Lord to serve him in one accord. And then it speaks about the rivers of Ethiopia, worshippers from different places. It says that these sins, these transgressions, will be forgiven and then in verse 11, it speaks again at the end there of my holy mountain, just as the, we, it spoke about the mountain in Isaiah 11. It does in other places. Jerusalem is going to be lifted up. It's going to be on a mountain. The temple is going to be on a mountain. And it will be the, uh, the place where everyone comes and pilgrimages, according to Zechariah 14 the place to come and worship before the Lord. The results of this will be, in verse 12, a meek and humble people who trust in the name of the Lord. Just let that settle in. Compare that verse to the outside world that we live in now. They speak no lies, they do no unrighteousness, no deceitful tongue in their mouth, and no one makes them afraid, verse 13. It's speaking, yes, in the context about Israel, but but the whole world, as we read in Isaiah, will be transformed by this Messiah, this Christ, this King, And so this pure language comes, you see, from a pure society and from a changed and transformed world. There are other places in Scripture that speak about if you go into the wilderness, you will sense the righteousness. Righteousness will dwell there. You go into the wilderness nowadays, you don't think about righteousness dwelling there. You might think about bears dwelling there, you know, or things that uh, you have to look out for. You might think about, you know, some uh, weirdos dwelling out there that you need to keep a, a lookout for. But you don't think about righteousness dwelling there. You don't think about peace dwelling there. Shalom. Everywhere you go. And it's hard to envisage because that's just not our reality now, is it? It's not what we experience. But the scripture predicts that it will be, you see. The whole point, folks, of God's acting in the fallen world in the way that he did is the rule and reign of his son. Over a people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so it's going to come about. We wait. And as Paul speaks in Romans 8, you know, the creation groans. And we groan with it, waiting for the adoption. That is our new bodies. This transformation that's going to happen. Well, we're reading about what that transformation will look like here. So, if we get that in our minds, then we can understand the next portion where it speaks about the rejoicing God, particularly in verse 17. But look at verse 14 and look through it. Sing, O daughter of Zion. This is Jerusalem. Shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your hearts. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your judgments. There's no more judgment going to be uh, brought out against Israel. No more suffering. He has cast out your enemy. The king of Israel is the Lord in your midst. He's coming to dwell there. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, let your hands be weak. Not your hands be weak. The Lord, your God, in your midst, the mighty one will save. And then what does it say? How is he going to save them? Is he going to save them as some kind of impassionate, powerful Despot, He will rejoice over you with gladness. No, he's coming to save in joy. He's coming to save in love. He's aware of the suffering. He's aware of the travail. He's aware of the world that we have to live our lives in. And he's coming to change it, and the change rejoices him. doesn't just rejoice us. He will quiet you with his love. You know, when you are troubled, when you are distressed, and someone comes to you, and you know that they love you, and you know that they're there for you, and they, you know that they understand you. that quiets your heart. And you stop arguing with yourself and debating with yourself. He will rejoice over you with singing. He's going to be the one singing. Yes, it's speaking again of Israel, but the picture, there are other passages that I could go to, the picture is of a world where this rejoicing starts at Jerusalem, comes out into the whole of Israel, and then goes throughout the whole world, just as in Isaiah chapter 11. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you to whom its burden its reproach is a burden. He is going to bless Israel, and he is going to bless the world through Israel. This means that there has to be a uh, what we might call a mediatorial or an intermittent Kingdom between what we have now and the new heavens and the new earth in which this uh, change can go out. You see, the way it starts off is the judgment of the kingdom of of the, um, excuse me, the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. Those sheep, they go into, the believers go into the kingdom. This kingdom that's described. We ourselves, we go into the kingdom. There are others who will be the children, because it speaks about children, there are others who will be the children of those who make it through the tribulation and the children of those who are the sheep, the believers who will be born in the kingdom, and they themselves will not necessarily be believers. They have to be raised in the world. And some of them will trust and some of them won't trust. Which is why Christ has to rule with a rod of iron. And that is the final declaration of the righteousness of God. God. In judging sin. That even in the most perfect environment, with the most perfect king, with the peace of nature all around, and probably thorns and thistles gone. Just imagine that. In this mar- marvelous and wondrous environment there will still be rebellion. That's where Revelation 20 comes in. That's where the release of Satan, who has been uh, imprisoned for a thousand years, that's where that comes in. He's, he's let out after that thousand years. And he can, he, he can find people who don't like what Jesus is doing from Jerusalem. Sinners. And the judgment of God comes down upon them. And then once that is done, that is when Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 is fulfilled. That is when Christ crushes the head of the serpent. He hasn't done it yet. Didn't do it at the cross. Satan is alive and well right now. Very powerful, very influential. But his doom is sure. And he's going to get a thousand year prison sentence before he gets his comeuppance. And so we believe, yes, in the kingdom to come. We believe we will go into the kingdom to come in our glorified bodies because we will be given glorified bodies just like Christ's body those that go in from the sheep and the goats they won't they will have children just as it's uh, talked about here so yes there will be people who are glorified and there will be people who have not been glorified but will benefit from the conditions that they will live in they will live uh, a lot longer they will be much healthier and eventually, of course, they will be uh, glorified as far as my understanding uh, of these things takes me. And some people have a problem with that. And they think, well, that doesn't make any sense. Or that's, that's, you know, you can't have glorified people and non-glorified people. And my answer to that is quite simple. Well, the only way that you can stop that is by spiritualizing the Bible. That's the only way. And you don't just spiritualize one passage of the Bible. You end up spiritualizing three quarters of the Bible. The whole of the book of Revelation, for example. Many passages from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the minor prophets. And I do not take that line. There are so many things that seem odd to us now. There are so many things that seem uh, unbelievable to us now. But once we're in the kingdom, they won't be unbelievable. They'll be marvelous. They'll be awe-inspiring. But why would you think things would continue the same way as today? In this fallen world, in this uh, world that's dominated by the prince of the power of the air and his minions. Why wouldn't you believe in this incredible transformation of this world under the governorship of Jesus Christ who died in it? He's going to get the glory in this world in the same way that he was rejected in this world. That makes sense to me. And I believe that is what The scriptures tell us. Can I put everything together exactly the right way? I certainly can't. Do I have the ability to describe it in the way I'd like to describe it? No, obviously not. But read your Bibles and believe your Bibles. And notice the differences. Notice that when it talks about children... Messing around with bears and wolves and stuff. It means it. Because there are children, my understanding is that that can't be new heavens and new earth. Because in Zechariah chapter 8, Jerusalem is going to be called the city of truth. But there are still going to be old men in the streets and young people in the streets, just as it speaks about. That can't be the new heaven and the new earth. But it's not today today. And so I go to Revelation chapter 20, and yes, that explains it to me. There's going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth, and he's going to finally defeat Satan. And yes, at the end of it, as we will see, this earth, because it's cursed, is going to have to be done away with and replaced but not before Jesus makes something of it that glorifies God the original creator of it i'm looking forward to this kingdom i'm looking forward to the tranquility that it will bring i will i'm looking forward to seeing the variety that's in it i mean god how many beetles are there He likes variety. We shouldn't think about humanity in glory as one homogenous big podge, you know. There's going to be humanity united but different, just as God displays that throughout the world today. And so um, Zephaniah and Isaiah... And the other prophets speak about this. And although this stage of the three phases is perhaps the least important of them when it comes to what we believe today, you can kind of not believe this and just have going to heaven and then the new heavens and new earth when Jesus comes back. That's fine. That's perfectly acceptable. I think proper understanding of these passages, or a literal understanding of these passages, forces you to put this third kingdom between them. It works for me. It works in, with the understanding of Scripture that I have. One of the things that I uh, insist upon in my teaching, well, can you tell me Those of you who have been under my teaching for long enough, what's one of the things i like to say? God means what he says. Okay? God means what he says. You cannot have faith if God doesn't mean what he says because you don't know what he means. So trust what he says and glorify him, even if you don't fully comprehend everything. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its promises. We don't know how everything's going to uh, pan out. We don't have um, anything but your scriptures, but we, don't, uh, we, we can't transport ourselves into the future. But we do know the future is sure. We do know that these things will come about. And what I want to pray, Father, is even so, Come, Lord Jesus, and bring in
0: your kingdom. Amen. So far this morning, we have devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And um, in the next uh, hour or so, we'll devote ourselves to fellowship. Benediction today is out of Hebrews.